the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon to you. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Lifeline for the 25th day of October. Does it make you feel any better to tell you that we're now exactly two months away from Christmas? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Boy. And I was taking notes here at the start of the show. So uh, Jordan, leading into the program here just before the news, said to stay tuned for Lifeline with yours truly. It would be inspiring, encouraging, and entertaining. I'm, I'm not so sure. Am I the inspiring part, the encouraging part, or the entertaining part? Terrell's got that look on his face like, brother, none of the above. <laughs> That's right. I appreciate your support. I really do. And uh, one of these days when you get your own show and I'm on the other side of the glass, that's okay. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll make it all even. Is that all right? <laughs> all right. Let's get down to cases, shall we? Got a good show lined up for you today. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about the lies men believe and the truth that sets them free. You know, Scripture tells us Satan is the father of all lies, and we, of course, get caught up in a lot of lies. Sometimes it's self-talk to try to convince ourselves of something that's either inappropriate or uh, not the right thing to do. Other times they're just lies that sort of get planted in our minds and, and suddenly we come to believe them and embrace them and live our lives by them when in fact that has the furthest thing to do with reality or what God's ideal is, is for us. So how do we make that distinction? Well, we're going to talk about that. Best-selling author Robert Morgabuth joins us later on in the program. Michael Bennett, the KFAX uh, Traffic Center again tonight. All right, good. Glad to see he made it in. We like when everybody shows up. All right, speaking of showing up, constitutional lawyer, founder, and president of the <coughs> Pacific Justice Institute shows up to give us an update. We talked about this story a couple of weeks ago, um, a, a court case related to a decision by Marin County uh, to essentially institute a, a kind of a workaround when it comes to property taxes. At least that's how the, uh, the judge in the case saw it, a workaround to property taxes that churches don't normally pay or not required to pay under the California Constitution. And, and yet they thought, well, if we don't call it a tax, it's a use fee or it's a service fee, something of that sort to, you know, change the name slightly and suddenly we can now collect money. Well, this ended up costing um, Valley Baptist Church of San Rafael upwards of almost $14,000. Had it been upheld, had the action by the county been upheld, this would have been pretty scary for churches all across our state. Let's get more now in the outcome of this um, monumental case as, again, 
constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus joins us. And uh, first, I guess congratulations are in order. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's a it's a really fantastic victory on behalf of uh, so many uh, churches, really, in the big scheme of things, uh, because uh, we're talking about um, you know a, a, the possibility of a property value based tax, which would be extremely burdensome. Um, for so many, I mean, churches, I mean, and, and it would give the government the ability to to uh, issue, start issuing taxes that if churches couldn't pay, they'd have to shut their doors. What government can tax, government can control, and what government can control, government can destroy. We totally get that, and uh, that's why we took this case very seriously in, in the litigation process. This case, as I mentioned, was an attempt to try to essentially, what, implement a property tax that was based on nine one one services. Yes, uh, it was. Yeah, it was based on paramedic. It was actually a, 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 a special paramedics uh, tax, a property tax, and uh, it was supposed to provide medical services. And you know, and that's a fine goal, but um, it has to be legal and constitutional. And and it's illegal uh, to tax churches uh, property taxes. Uh, you know, public schools didn't have to pay this, this tax. Uh, but um, and they've been exempt under the state constitution. Well, churches are exempt, um, and yet somehow they tried to find a clever way of taxing them. Fortunately for that church, uh, this judge had a, a very level head and looked at the big picture and realized the can of worms that would be opened up uh, for uh, churches. Uh, and, 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 and this is important for other parts of the country as well, who could have very easily been inspired to try to, to pull the same thing. Uh, undoubtedly so. I mean, had had the uh, county here prevailed, my goodness, this would have triggered a message uh, to municipalities and counties across the state and uh, elsewhere across the union that, hey, all we got to do is just come up with another way, another certain, we're not, well, it's not really a property tax per se, it's a service tax on the property, and, uh, and before you know it, we've just, you know, torn the Constitution to shreds. Um, valuable in this case, this lesson for churches to be aware of such matters, to be on guard, to know that organizations like the Pacific Justice Institute are available to argue your case, if need be, even in front of a judge, in order to uh, get justice and make sure that your constitutional rights are protected. You know, there's another story related to taxes that I heard today. Um, I had uh, lunch with a Bay Area pastor and he told me that there is a church in the East Bay that's duking it out right now with the IRS, that apparently they, they do as many churches do. They, they rent out part of their, uh, their church building uh, during the week to a uh, secondary party, in this case the YMCA, and, and they use apparently the, the, the hall for basketball and, and after-school uh, programs for youth and so forth. And the IRS looked at that and said, oh, well, that's, that's inappropriate use of the property because you're making, quote-unquote, money on this. Is this another arena, in your opinion, Counselor, that churches have to be very wary in terms of um, being mindful that the IRS, like the local tax collector, is going to look for any workaround they can come up with in order to increase your tax obligation or potential liability? Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned this. This is something we see churches doing, and uh, they need to um, they need to get legal counsel on uh, the proper way to do it. Uh, we at Pacific Justice uh, have such expertise, and, you know, we even help churches. Uh, one church was uh, having to uh, pay um, uh, property tax on a part of their church building because it was sort of a cafe, and 
fellowship hall, and we work with the church to uh, greatly reduce that uh, by about like 98% So uh, to, to avoid that, but they needed to know what to do. So we at Pacific Justice are here. We have uh, two attorneys in the Bay Area, one in San Francisco Bay Area, one in the Northern, one in the Southern. We're here to serve, and they should never hesitate to contact us because we never, ever charge for our work. We love to serve uh, churches in, throughout the San Francisco Bay Area and, and elsewhere. How does this get interpreted, Brad, as, as, as profit? I mean, there are many churches that will lease out the church for uh, weddings uh, that will, like in this case here, find a, a, a third-party Christian organization that wants to use the facilities when they're not being used. I mean, even down to a church that innocently says, gee, we've been approached by a new congregation. Uh, they, uh, they've they outgrown uh, the practicality of meeting at a local, you know, uh, hotel ballroom, so we're going to rent our property to them, so we'll have our services in the morning, and they'll have their services in the afternoon. I mean, is there really, a, is the IRS really looking at that as a potential tax liability? Yes, uh, they are. And, um, and that's why it's important churches uh, treat it very seriously. Whenever a church uh, charges to use its facilities uh, or sells goods on their facilities, uh, there are, are, are things that they need to do to protect themselves. You know, some churches have a, like a, a Bible bookstore built into their church. Well, that church, uh, you know, could have, have to face uh, property tax on that part of their building or facility, uh, potentially. So... Uh, it's a there's ways around it and we at pacific justice would love to serve we don't charge and we'd love to help uh, because these are real issues and i'm really glad you're raising them because they're um they can be very costly very very costly research we help a private christian university uh mitigate and get rid of uh, about a hundred and thirty thousand dollars annually in property taxes um because they were being levied property tax on what's called unused property and uh, we showed them how a very easy way how to to, uh, to mitigate that. Oh, so now if you, it's not only using it for a different purpose, but just don't use it at all, and they, and they want to come up with a way to charge you. Wow, I love it. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And by the way, when I say I love it, I mean, I mean with tongue firmly planted in cheek, of course. Ridiculous. Well, uh, even under the current administration, you have to keep a watchful eye on our friends over at the IRS. We appreciate um, not only the update on this good news story out of Marin County today, and again, if you're just joining us, a Marin County Superior Court has um, declared a voter-approved local property tax unconstitutional when applied to a church. Um, the uh, church here involved, Valley Baptist of San Rafael, um, was in a civil trial against the city of San Rafael as they were attempting to charge property taxes, what the city called a paramedic tax. Uh, but in the end of the day, it's a property tax. And, of course, uh, this is clearly illegal and in violation of the California Constitution that exempts buildings used for religious worship from property taxation in all its forms. Um, and, of course, if a city's allowed to get away with it or nobody calls their bluff, it's going to be yes, but. And in this case, uh, there were no ifs, ands, or buts about it as um, Pacific Justice Institute stepped up to the plate and said, ah, 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 not so fast. The city will have to write a refund check back to the church for 1000 uh, I'm sorry, for 13000 That's a lot of money, $13,644 in taxes. And the coup de grace, they've also got to pay them interest, 3% per annum. Bully for them.
Good job there. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute for that victory. And again, anytime you're in one of those squeezes, you got a question, maybe you've just heard something here on the radio. You think, well, gee, our church does that all the time. Oh, yeah, you might want to take a little bit of preemptive action here and place a call to the Pacific Justice Institute. They do not charge for their services. Rarely, if ever, will you ever hear me utter the sentence, or anybody else for that matter, attorney, and do not charge in the same sentence. But that indeed is the case with the Pacific Justice Institute. Information available on the web at uh, pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And if your church is doing that, you might want to go to school before you have some problems with the feds. 518. Let's see what kind of problems we have with the traffic. And the guy that's got uh, the latest news on this is Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation here at 522, the Thursday edition of Lifeline. And, um, you know, there are lies that uh, we tell ourselves or lies that Society oftentimes tells us, we'll tell ourselves lies in order to try to minimize the psychological or conscious impact of wrong decisions that we know at the core are wrong, and yet you somehow kind of want to do them anyway. You know, at the end of the day, I think it's important to be mindful that whether we're talking about big lies or little lies, and I think we'll learn from our next guest that even the so-called little white lies are not really appropriate in God's perfect world. But, you know, it's important to be mindful at the onset that the enemy is the father of all lies and that this business of lying to break the law, to ease our conscience, to sometimes just buy in and get along to whatever we're being convinced of. We don't necessarily have to initiate the lie, sometimes just a lie that we've been told and we believe that has a negative impact on our life and our relationships. It began in the Garden of Eden with the big question posed, Hath God said? And that sense of lying and questioning has certainly followed mankind for all these years now. So what about the lies that men believe? Well, today we take a look at this topic and the truth that sets them free. Best-selling author Robert Mulgoth joins us today. And Robert, great to have you on the program. Um, this, this, is a, this is a book that I guess really covers apples to oranges, not just in terms of the kinds of lies that, that we ourselves as men tell ourselves and promote for ourselves to make ourselves feel better, but ultimately the kind of lies that surround us, either by the enemy or by society that we tend to believe as well, all of which have a very detrimental impact on a relationship with our spouse, our family, and ultimately God. That's right. How are you, Craig? Good. Very well. Good to have you with us. Good to hear your voice. Thank you. It's so funny. You said apples to oranges. There, there are no oranges on the cover of this book, but there is an apple. There is an, indeed an apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that apple has two bites out of it, so I guess you get the uh, imagery, don't you? Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and you, you bypass any chance of being sued by the Macintosh Corporation. 
No, that's right. Be careful. i got a Macintosh right here on my lap. Oh, okay, all right. Fair, fair enough, fair enough there. Plug, plug, plug. Well, I'm honored to talk to you. I'm in Michigan. You're in California, so it's... A long way uh, between us, but it's great to be on the on the uh, radio. Great to have you on the program, and I want to dive down Thank into you. this really and truly because, as the book title suggests, these are lies that a lot of guys buy into. Sometimes they're lies that we create for ourselves. We're trying to kind of talk ourselves into or out of something that, at the core, we know does not square with either what our heart is telling us, our conscience, or ultimately our Bible. And then to lies that yeah. oftentimes society and culture and those around us will tell us that we buy into that ultimately because we buy into these lives has a detrimental impact on our relationships. As I suggested in my opening remarks, Robert, does this really come down to the fact that the enemy of our soul, the father of lies, has been behind this business, understands that this is one of the most effective means to, to, to bring about destruction in relationships? Yes, of course. Absolutely. That's his, that's his deal. That's what he's up to. The, the biggest word on the cover of the book is lies. The most important word on the cover of the book is truth. John 8, 32. Uh, Jesus talked about the truth that sets us free. So, uh, yes, we talk about 40 different lies. As you see by the table of contents, we put them in various categories. But every one of those lies has an offsetting truth. So and, and it sends the men, sends the reader into the Word, into God's Word, and that's really the point of all this, to find new ways, find footholds to give men the opportunity to examine their own lives and then deepen their, their uh, relationship with Jesus by way of His Word. That's the goal. I know that this book is largely a response to a bestseller written by your wife, um, called Lies Women Believe that, uh, that Nancy wrote back several years ago and as I mentioned is a, right. a bestseller and still available out there in bookstores and of course yeah. you can order it through Amazon.com as well. But this is also a book that, that is personal to you. Talk to us a bit about your motivation behind this and how, how uncomfortable was it? Did you, did you have to struggle with some of your own <laughs> realities in writing this book well, to say wow, I'm taking oh. an account here myself too? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You you write a book out of the crucible of your own struggles, your own pain, your own failure, your own sin. Absolutely. That's that's what a pastor does, Craig. You stand, open God's Word, and he talks to you about your own life. Nancy and I say to each other all the time, we pray before we speak or write, Lord, I want to go first. Let me go first in all this. Don't let me preach without knowing the truth that uh, that I'm delivering by way of your Word in my own experience, in my own life. So, and, and as you know, a book is a very intimate experience. You know, most books are read one person at a time, so there's no microphone here, there's no podium, there's no platform. It's a cup of coffee between me and the, re- and the reader, just the two of us, and it's a conversation. And I'm describing by way of stories that I tell in the book, and I'm inviting the guy across the cup of coffee from me to tell me his story, tell me what his struggles are. So it's a very intimate medium. That's my favorite thing about writing is, in fact, as I'm writing the book, I often think of one man who I'm writing to, uh, Dr. Tim LaHaye, years ago, a good friend, a man who I published uh, with my own publishing company. He said, a book is a long letter to one person. And so I've, I've written the books that I've had the privilege of writing 
uh, in some cases, I've actually written it to one man uh, and and pretended that I'm looking across my computer screen into his face when I see him frown or like he doesn't quite understand what I'm saying, like you do when you're talking. I, I took a step back and tried again just to make sure he understood what I was trying to say. The thing about a book is that it's a very passive medium. I mean, I have in my library, I have to confess, a whole bunch of books that have a boarding pass, like, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 pages in. I'm, not, I'm never going back to finish them, uh, to finish them because it didn't, it didn't capture my attention. And, you know, if you're sitting in church and the pastor is off on a tangent and you're really not uh, grooving on what he has to say, you're not going to get up and walk away. But a book has to capture your attention. It has to page after page keep you reading. When, uh, when somebody says to you as an author, I couldn't put it down, I want to I hug him and kiss him on the face, that's a, that's a big deal. I couldn't put it down. So my goal in writing this book is to maintain the guy's attention, to tell stories, to look into his face as I'm writing. In fact, you'll see the way it's formatted. It's formatted in a very friendly kind of way. It's not page after page of text, paragraph after paragraph of just words. It's very interesting when you open it up, the colors in there, uh, just, just the way it's formatted is very interesting. That's all on purpose to help keep a guy's attention as he moves through the book. Yeah, I, I figured there had to be strange. some there had to be some strategy behind it because obviously uh, in my line of work I come across not dozens or hundreds but thousands of books over the course of the year. A very small yes, percentile did. that actually make it here on the air and thumbing through I thought, hmm, you know, the way some of the color jumps out, the way, the way this book is structured clearly is trying to do more than just simply um, engage or offer up information. And I guess at the end of the day, really what you're trying to do here is to, beyond engaging the reader, to get guys in the process of self-evaluation, to, to read an equation here, so to speak, as you talk, for example, about uh, in the early chapters, the lies that we believe about God, and then suddenly to start taking personal inventory about, all right, where am I? How does this impact me? What lies about God have I bought into that are having a deleterious impact on my relationship? Absolutely. Well, Tozer, remember A.W. Tozer? Oh, yes. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So the first five lies, this is the first chapter, there are six chapters, each of them contain five lies. The first section is lies men believe about God. I believe that that is so important in looking at all of life, in looking at all the things that we're tempted to believe that aren't true. What I think about God, where, where I put him in my mind, in my heart, in my experience, is the most important thing about me. I would imagine it's no, no accident that you sort of start at the center and and push your way out, so to speak, as you walk yeah. through these yeah. lies, these different types of categories? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in fact, you mentioned my wife, Nancy Damas Walgamuth, wrote a book in 2001 called Lies Women Believe. That book has sold a million copies. So actually, when we were engaged, we were talking about that book, and she said, you know, over the years, uh, various authors have come to me, men, who have said, you know, there ought to be a book called Lies Men Believe, and, and they have actually offered to write that, and she has said, you know, I, I just didn't feel 
um, feel that it, that it was right for those particular men, authors, whatever, to write the sequel. Well, we were in, in love, and we were moving toward our wedding day, and so she said, would it, would, would it interest you to write Lies Men Believe in the wake of Lies Women Believe? And I, I'm sure I spent a second, maybe two seconds, thinking about it, yeah. and said, I would absolutely love to do that. So this book is framed in a similar way in terms of the general sections to the Lies Women, Women Believe book. But, of course, that's the only similarity. The lies are very different. Men are very different than women. And, uh, you know, Nancy was 57 and never married. So she's discovered in the last three years that men are very different than women. So, anyway, it's been great fun, actually, because she was updating Lies Women Believe. I was writing from scratch Lies Men Believe last summer on the deck behind our house, and so we spent the summer writing lies side by side. People would say, so, like, what are you guys doing? We'd say, well, we're writing lies. But honestly, seriously, uh, coming up with the, the foundational chapter, which is the very beginning of the book you'll see called Foundations, was a real challenge, and here's why. Um, she talks a lot in Lies Women Believe about the fact that Eve was deceived, that the serpent deceived Eve. He used sleight of hand like a magician, did God say. Um, but the Apostle Paul says in his letter to Timothy, Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. So Nancy read that verse to me, and she said, okay, so where are you going to go with the foundation of this book? Because she talks a lot about deception and lies women believe, but the Apostle Paul said, well, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. So let's paint this picture of the garden, and let's talk about Adam. And so this was a, this was a very helpful, brand-new thing for me. I've been teaching the Bible and writing books for 40 years. This was a brand-new thought to me. So, okay, let's, let's paint the picture. Uh, the Lord spoke to Adam. And he gave him the ground rules of the garden, and he said, help yourself to anything, but the tree over there, don't touch it. Don't eat of its fruit. Now, he didn't give the instructions to Eve, did he? Just to Adam. So apparently, in their conversation, perhaps walking around the garden, Adam must have filled Eve in on his conversation with God. And he said, that tree we can't eat of. So now the next picture, Genesis 3... Eve is having a conversation with the serpent. And, you know, nobody's really, nobody knows, of course, but it's possible that the serpent was a person, an individual standing upright, because remember, part of his curse was that he was going to crawl on his belly on the ground. So it's possible that the serpent was a creature, not unlike uh, looking like a man or uh, some kind of, um, of a mammal, some kind of, of individual. So anyway... So Eve's having a conversation with the serpent, with Satan. Where was Adam? Where was Adam? Because he is not involved in the conversation. So I'd love to ask you, where do you think Adam was in this conversation? I'd love for your listeners to be able to weigh in, because I can just see people driving in their cars, they're, and they're shouting at the dashboard of their car, saying, I know where he was, I have an idea. 
But here's what I think, and, and Nancy and I have prayed about this, we've read about this, we've talked to very smart people, Bible scholars about this, and here's what we've concluded. Adam was right there. He was right there. And he didn't say anything. I think it's interesting. I think one of the great tragedies of many men in contemporary culture is their passivity. I think that's a very millennial thing, actually. Passivity, right? I think the Internet, I think um, the, the, the fact that you can go off on your own with nobody else and just be you and your, and your smartphone or you and your computer, and you can be completely isolated. I think the great temptation of men is passivity. So, in fact, when Nancy and I got married, now she was 57 and I was 67, so we got this idea before before our wedding. I said, you know what? When your brother brings you down the aisle, and she lost her daddy 40 years ago. Arthur DeMoss died 40 years ago. <clears throat> I said, when you get when when you get halfway down the aisle, I want you to stop, and I'm going to come get you. I'm going to leave the altar. I'm standing next to the pastor. I'm going to walk halfway down the aisle, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to escort you back to the altar. And, and the symbol there was, I'm not going to be passive about this. You know, why do we love Jesus, love God? Because he first loved us. He went first. He stepped out. So the great, I think one of the great sins of mankind, and I mean by that men, is passivity. And so here's Adam, and he's in the garden. He's watching this conversation between himself, I mean between his wife and Satan. And he sees his wife take the fruit, take a bite. She hands it to him. He takes a bite and doesn't say anything. So what was he thinking? Oh, and I, you know, this is, someday we'll know for sure. This is like First Corinthians 13. We will no longer look through a glass darkly. We'll see it. But so what, what was he thinking? Again, I'd love, wouldn't it be fun to be able to just push a button and have everybody who's listening on the radio right now to, to speak up and tell us what they're thinking? You know, the irony is when you think about it, I mean, there's, there's two ways, too. Knowing what we know now of the history of the world uh, from our first parents, um, it, it, that, that question could be posed in two fashions. So, Adam, what were you thinking? Uh, or, Adam, what were you thinking? And I think at the end of the day, that, that sense of passivity, and it's interesting because, I, you know, you ponder the question, well, he must have surely been off about the master's business. He was out gathering fruits and vegetables. No. Likelihood, even though there's always that sense of, of culpability put upon Eve, the notion of Adam just standing there was the old phrase that... Uh, she she lied and he swore to it, <laughs> and of course, what's that meant ever since? These kind of lies that get in the way of our relationship with God and get in the way of our relationship with others. We're talking about the lives that men believe and the truth that sets them free. Brand new book, newly published by Robert Wolgamuth. We're going to take a brief time out. Come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. Interesting question. Where was Adam? What no good was he up to? I think Robert's got on. He's on to something. Let's get a look at uh, traffic-wise and see what Michael Bennett, see if he's on to anything. Michael? 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's interesting to note so often how that the struggle that we have in the flesh starts in the mind, not just with the thought process and the temptations that we begin to entertain, but then to the kind of lies that we tell ourselves, either to try and excuse our way out of some sort of behavior to sort of mitigate, as it were, the the sense of guilt or remorse or um, conviction that we might be feeling, coupled with the kinds of lies that we're told in society and around us that we will buy into that ultimately has uh, such a crippling impact on not just our relationship with God, our spouses, our children, but almost all the lives we come in touch with. Today we're looking at lies men believe and the truth that sets them free. Best-selling author Robert Wolgamuth is with us today. And Robert, let me come back to this notion as 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 you have penned this book. Are you really asking men to sort of uh, hold the the mirror up to themselves and and ask for themselves just exactly what kind of lies have I been buying into? Absolutely. Yeah, it's you know, I've I've written about 40 lies but there are hundreds of them, right? Uh, little little nuanced um, ideas that could have come out of those 40. I, I met with a group of guys for actually almost a year, and we pounded it out, and we fine-tuned it and said, are these the 40 that ought to go in this book? And yeah, that's right. And they're, they're in sections. Wise men believe about God, about themselves, about sin, about sexuality, and so forth. Relationships, work and wealth, all those things. So yeah, it's it's um, it's insidious. You know, p- part of this is that um, that we don't, you know, we wake up one day and say, "How did I get over here?" I I this wasn't what I planned. You know, there was a series of really bad decisions, lies that I believed, action that I took based on those lies, and it was one lie after another. And one day I wake up and I look at my situation, my life, my family. And I say, where, where did this come from? How did this happen? So it's really, you know, the, the book is encyclopedic. By that I mean you can look at the table of contents and you can dive in wherever you want. Now, most books you read, you have to go chapter to chapter. This book is, again, it's encyclopedia. It's like a buffet. Uh, you know, you can, you can walk down the line and pick out the things that you think are going to be helpful to you. And then at the back of the book, in, uh, on page 13, there's a website, I mean, page 300, a website that a good friend of mine, a pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas, helped create a discussion guide. Because as you know, I can read a book by myself, and it, again, it's a very intimate medium. But if I'm going through this book with a bunch of my friends, and we're looking at each other saying, okay, well, tell me about your story. Tell me how this lie impacted you. When did you believe this lie? And how can you claim this truth? If, if you're doing that with a handful of friends who really care for each other, love each other in Christ, there you're really talking about life change. And that would be, that'd be a dream for me as the author to be able to get some of these conversations started around the world, actually. That would be amazing. In, in your research for this, Robert, I'm curious, as we talk about the impact that these lives have, I, I would imagine in a lot of cases, I know it's certainly been my case in my own life experience, that frequently they start out, at least in one's own mind, as small ones, minute ones, 
well, you know, it, it, I don't need to tell her everything, or, well, if she doesn't find out, it won't hurt anybody, or this doesn't oh. hurt anybody else. And so we, we, we're, 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 we're justifying, but in the process of justification, we're, we're, we're sort of building this web of lies, and don't they tend to get bigger and stronger and, and ultimately, oh, 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 oh. you know, sort of, sort of uh, um, snowball? Absolutely. In fact, lie number 18, what my wife doesn't know won't hurt her. Lie number 17, a little porn is harmless. Lie number 20, I have sexual needs my wife cannot fulfill. Um, you know, don't, yeah, absolutely, and it's a little at a time. I mean, don't you know, Satan's strategy is not to jump out from behind a bush with red pajamas and a pitchfork. We, we'd resist that. It's the incremental stuff that kills us, right? It's the this little decision here, a little decision there, a sidewards glance here, uh, a, an off-track conversation over there, and you wake up and you say, how did I get there or get here? Because of a number of seemingly inconsequential decisions that sent me in the wrong direction. So absolutely, that's a big deal. And again, my hope is that this book will... Uh, stop guys before they get there or turn on the lights when they are there and give give them a chance to find their way back. That's my hope. That's my dream. A lot of these lies, as I suggest, not only the lies that we tell ourselves, but also the lies that we, we tend to believe by the influence of society and culture around us. Walk us through some of those. Yeah. Well, I wish we had a couple of hours because there, there are a lot and it would be fun to really dive deep. Maybe maybe someday I'll come to the Bay Area, which I'd love to do, my favorite area of the country, um, and sit down with you, maybe a group of guys. I'll tell you, here's my favorite one. And I grew up, as you may have seen on the bio, my daddy was the pastor of a little Mennonite church, and, um, and I'm very grateful for my parents and my grandparents. <clears throat> but there was a, this is in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and there was a word that I saw, I think probably the first time I saw it in print, was on the sign out in front of a campground, and it was called the Roxbury Holiness Camp. And I'm thinking, what is that, Holiness Camp? Well, I'm, I'm with my grandparents, I'm probably seven or eight years old, and I discovered that holiness is a very boring thing. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a seven or eight-year-old, give me something else. Give me fun, give me baseball, give me something else. You know, I, I sat in these meetings on hard wooden benches and listened to guys preach, shout and preach, and and the people did not look like they were having any fun. There was there were very little, there was very little laughter, no smiling faces. So I grew up believing that holiness was a boring thing. And if if a guy walks away from from this book with anything in his heart, it's this: that holiness is not only not boring. Holiness is the most amazing journey that I'm on as a follower of Christ. And and Jesus calls me to be holy, to be perfect, to follow him with all my heart, to be obedient. That's the secret of happiness. It's, it's not doing what I want to do, you know. Romans 1, how did God punish these people? He, he let them go. He, let, he turned them over to their own devices rather than following after him. Pure joy, great joy, happiness comes from holy living. 
So line number 16 is holiness is boring. So I, and, and at the back of the book, I have all of the truths lined up by number so they match the, the number of the, of the lie that, that's uh, in, the, in the earlier portions of the book. So here's the truth about holiness is boring. Living a holy life in dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful thing. It's my pathway to happiness and pure joy. Who does not want happiness and pure joy? And then wouldn't you know, and I, I think you may know my story, I lost my first wife after almost 45 years of marriage uh, to ovarian cancer, and two months before she died, she told two friends that she would like me to marry Nancy Lee DeMoss when she steps into heaven, but she never told me that. So a couple months after Nancy and I were dating, those friends came to me and said, we think you ought to know something. This is exactly what she wanted you to do. So now I'm falling in love with this lady who's written 19 books and has a ministry called Revive Our Hearts that goes uh, around the world on podcasts across America, about a thousand radio stations. And guess guess what one of her best-selling books is called? Holiness, the path to pure joy. <laughs> I mean, does God have a sense of humor or what? So I'm marrying this. I married this woman who has written about holiness, and she quotes her daddy. This is in the book. Her daddy came to faith in his 20s, a guy named Arthur S. DeMoss, and um, and you know he he lived a wild life. He was a two-fisted drinker, gambler. Came to faith in his 20s, fell in love with Jesus. And he talks about the joy of holiness. I mean, I that that makes me smile to the bottoms of my feet because again, my image of holiness as a kid was anything but that. And the truth is that holiness is pure joy. So really, reading this book and talking about reading these forty lies and the truth that sets men free leads me to a life of holiness, a life that pleases the Lord which is the most amazing, extraordinary joy I could possibly experience as a man. Well, and I, and I think, Robert, you really hit on the key there. And, and it, it's, it's a simple phrase and yet a poignant one. You just said, well, the truth is. And there, indeed, is the reality that we need to start engaging. Where we, it, the, the, the self-talk of lies is something that we've been programmed to do all of our lives. We have been trained to do it. We've been brainwashed into doing it by society, by culture, certainly by the enemy. But the truth is, and therein lies the means by which we might be free, right? Scripture tells us that. This is a look at the lies men believe and the truth that sets them free at so many levels, and it really is the key that unlocks that prison, whether it be the prison that you find yourself in in your relationship with your spouse, your family, um, the the cycle of sin that you're on, um, distortion of God's perfect will for sexuality, maybe even in terms of where you're at in your relationship, the way you think about engage with work, the circumstances, or even just the world around you. We're seeing more of that, too, today. It's a look at how to counter lies with the truth. And again, the book, newly published by, you'd think, Walgamoth, but no, actually published by Moody Publishers. And you'll find it bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as online through Amazon.com. And you can get information, too, about Robert at RobertWolgamoth.com. That's RobertWolgamoth.com. The book is called Lies Men Believe and the Truth 
that sets them free. Robert, we appreciate the time and the truth-telling today. Great book and uh, certainly one that ought to be a mirror that every man holds up to his own life. Wise men believe. All right, we're here at 6 o'clock. Time now for an update on traffic. Let's see what's going on. We've got the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.